you brought your Bible, go to 2 Timothy chapter number 1 this morning. And uh, we're going to start where we've been at for a couple of weeks, actually. And uh, go ahead and go further in this. If you've been here in these services, you will recognize some of these verses. Um, but then also, if you haven't been in the services, you can go online and listen to the previous services. Because we're doing somewhat of a series. It's not exactly it's just quite a clean series as far as just the same, same progression. But we're, we're talking about knowing God. And uh, when you get saved, you're going to 2 Timothy there, chapter number 1. But when you got saved, you uh, became a part of the family of God. Not a uh, natural blood family, because we're not born when we're born again. We're not born of flesh and blood. We're born of the Spirit, born of God, born of the will of God. And so we're not a, 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 a new person as far as our natural bloodline heritage, you know, but we are a new creation and born our spirit man. The old things have passed away and all things have become new. Yes. We have a new nature. We have a new father. <laughs> Amen. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have a new family. We have a new, a uh, whole lot of things have become new. A new standing with God. A new, new uh, we're in a covenant now that we didn't have before, where we weren't in before. And so these things, these things have all become new. And we need to learn about this new God that we have, this, this Father that is ours. We need to know him because when you get saved, that's sort of like, you know, meeting somebody and shaking their hand for the first time. That doesn't mean you know them. That means you met them. And so, uh, you know, like the person you eventually married, if you're married in here this morning, the first day you met them, you didn't really know them. You just, maybe somebody had told you about them or you saw them at an event you were at or something and, you know, just, just became acquainted a little bit, but you really didn't know them. Right. But uh, obviously, if you're married to them now, you know them better than you used to know them (laughs) because you've been walking through life together and so forth and so on. And now, if you've been married very long, you can finish each other's sentences. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Like uh, there's times when somebody's talking to my wife, if I'm standing there listening to them, I know exactly how she's going to answer because I've been around her for all these years since 1988. We got married in 1988. So I know her. I know the way she's going to approach that answer. I know, uh, and, and I know a lot of things about her that I didn't know because when I got married, I didn't know her as well as I do right. now. Yeah. And that's like getting saved. You don't know God as, as well as you can know God if you keep walking with him. Yeah. Praise the Lord. I mean, I can uh, be in the church office for example, and hear somebody walking down the hall and know if it's my wife or not because I know the way she walks. I know, I know her gait, you know. And anybody know what I'm talking about? You just get to know somebody, right? So, uh, but we can know God. Anybody want to know God? I want to know God. And Paul said that was his great quest, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And the, the uh, fellowship of his sufferings, which simply means, you know, becoming crucifying the flesh, not my will, but thy will be done. And, uh, but but uh, Paul talked about it. We talked about this last Sunday in Philippians about the supreme advantage of that. There's a real advantage in knowing God. And the reason is because there's a verse in uh, 2, Timothy, excuse me, 2 Corinthians. You're not going there now, but you can write it down if you'd like. 
It says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, verse number, I believe it's verse number 11, lest Satan should get the advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. Being ignorant of Satan's devices, being ignorant of God's word, being ignorant, or that just, ignorant doesn't mean what, you know, sometimes that's used as a slur today. Ignorant in the Bible just means lack of knowledge. Um, uh, is is uh, not, you know, bliss. People say ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is not bliss. Uh, the Bible says in Hosea 4, 6, uh, you, you know, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because they don't have knowledge of God. They don't know God. Uh, you know, that the enemy can use that to take advantage of them, like 2 Corinthians 2, 9, or 2, 11, 9 or 11, whichever one it is, 11, and he can take advantage of that and destroy their lives. And just because you or I are a believer doesn't mean that Satan doesn't have access to our lives sometimes. He doesn't have the authority to, but he does take advantage of ignorance. Does that make any sense? So we want to get to know God, and we get to know God through His Word. Um, we talked about that last Sunday, and you can't know God apart from Jesus, because Jesus is the perfect expression of God. And then we talked about uh, knowing Him through His Word, and then we talked about not knowing Him through experiences, because experiences down here in this life can deceive you. They'll, they'll, they'll tell you something that's not true. Right. And we, we'll get into that. We shared some on that last week. I don't have time to get into all that, but you can go back and get that online and, and listen to that. But this verse has been our key text here in 2 Timothy 1.12, and I want to read it with you if you have your Bible there. 2 Timothy 1.12, for the which cause, Paul's talking here, for which cause I also suffer these things. He's talking about the persecution he had been through. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. That's a good testimony. Yes, I'm not ashamed. For here's reason. For I know, I know whom I have believed. Yes. Notice the way he said that. He didn't say, I know what I believe, though, though we, we do want to know what we, what we should believe and so forth. But in this case, he didn't say that. He said, I know whom I have believed. In other words, I know the one I'm trusting. I know him. And this is what he said. I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. You can, you can commit things to him and trust him to work things out in certain areas of your life, and he'll, he'll take care of it for you. Amen. And uh, Paul said, I know that's true about God because I know him. So Paul uh, didn't just say he knew principles or formulas or steps or spiritual laws. We should know those things. We shouldn't, we, we, we'd learn those things, but we should also know the person behind those, those words that give us those principles. Amen. 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 And so real faith doesn't just know principles. It knows the person behind the principles. You get to know God and you get to know his ways. And so um, that's, uh, that's what Paul's saying here. So uh, faith is, is to be not just in a book, but in a living God who spoke the words in the book. Amen. These words, the Word of God, is not just a, 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 a book full of principles. There's a person, a loving, caring Father yes. behind these words. Amen who spoke these things in order for us to know Him. Amen. And to be honest with you, um, you can know principles and not know God. Mm 
I don't know if you've ever been to the bookstore, like the, the uh, secular bookstore, but they have books of six, successful business principles and so forth. And if you boil many of those down, uh, there's some that are not biblical, but if you boil many of those down, many of them are based in biblical truths. They want to use the principles, but not be acquainted with the one who wrote those principles. And that'll, that'll always limit you how far you can go. So we want to get to know the person, right? And so the person and the words are inseparable, just like you and your words are inseparable. If, if I say something to you and I don't tell the truth, you say, well, he lied to me. Well, how many of you know that, that reflects not just on my word is no good, it reflects on me, the char- my own character, right? And so your word and my word are, are all connected to us. We're, we're the, that's one and the same. If my word is no good, I'm no good. Right? <laughs> right? And uh, so when you get to know God through his word, you're getting to know him. Hallelujah. Now, one of the verses we get went to is John 17, 3. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Real eternal life is not just getting born again and getting a ticket to heaven. I mean, don't misunderstand me. That is eternal life. But I'm, not, I'm saying that's not the fullness of what this eternal life that we have is all about. It's really getting to know God. Getting to know God. And you can know principles and you can know the book and not know God. You might say, how could that be? Well, the same way the Pharisees knew they were the word people of their day. Yeah. You can see that in John 5, 37 through 40. And uh, whenever the living word showed up, Jesus himself in the flesh, they crucified him. Isn't that right? They were intellectually acquainted with the scriptures, but didn't have revelation of what it was actually saying. Does that make any sense? That's, that's not what we want to be. We don't want to just be, uh, you know, intellectually taught the scriptures. We want to have revelation because the, the, the word of God is not like any other book. It is not just a dead book. It is a living word. It's alive. It's, the Bible says the word is quick. That means alive and powerful. It's full of power. Every word of God has power in it. What's that power there to do? Bring itself to pass. Praise God. And so, let's get into this a little further today. I want to go over to the book of Psalms, chapter number 103. Psalm chapter 103. And I want to get a little further into this. If you can go with me. You believe in God for utterance today? Psalm 103, verse number 7. Let's look at this from knowing God from a little different angle here. Knowing God includes knowing His ways. You know, every one of us have ways about us. We have ways we do things. We might all arrive at the same, same result, you know, uh, but we, ha- we might approach it a different way, any given thing. And so uh, look at Psalm 103, verse number 7. God said, uh, He made known His ways unto Moses, His acts unto the children of Israel. Notice that, that Moses knew not just what God did, his acts here that the children of Israel knew about, that was what God does. They knew what God did. They saw what God does. 
They saw the miracles to get them out of Egypt and so forth and so on. <clears throat> but Moses moved beyond just knowing what God does, and he got over into the area of knowing the way God does what he does. Yes. yes. Oh, my, my, my. How much time you got today? <laughs> so uh, there's, there's a walk with God beyond just knowing what he does. You can know he is the Savior and that he, that he saves. You can know that he's the healer and the need meter and the peace giver and, the, and the, uh, the, the peace that passes all understanding. You can know him in all these, these different things that he does. But how do I get into that peace? How do I get into that healing? How do I get into that salvation? What is God's way of doing all those things? Anybody want to go beyond just knowing what he does and know the way he does it? Because if you know the way he does it, you can cooperate with him and align yourself with the way he does things and get into what he's trying to do in you and my life. There's a lot of things he's trying to do in you and my life. And uh, so we'll get into that a little bit. But I want you to read that again. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. Now, it looks like God just sovereignly picked Moses out and showed him further things, but it was actually had a lot to do with Moses' hunger, his meekness, and his, uh, his, uh, his seeking of the presence of God. He was always going into the presence of God, always going into the presence of God. So Israel would draw back. Remember when God came down on Mount Sinai? They, they said, we, we don't want to be this close to God. You just go talk to him and come tell us what he said. You know, they were not, they weren't, didn't want to get that close to God. And in the body of Christ at large today, you got all kinds of people wanting to be at a certain distance. But I want to, I want to know him. I want to know how he does things. I want to, I want to know, I want to know the love dub of his heart. You know, I want to know how, how does he think? What does he like? What does he not like? Yeah, that's me. I believe that's you. I believe that's a lot of you. So to walk with God, you have to get to know not just what he does, but his ways. That means his ways means how he does what he does. Now we might all, uh, we, we might all have, the adults here, all have the ability to drive. But different ones of us drive differently. Yeah. Oh, that's well. true. <laughs> We won't point anybody out. That's so true. <laughs> Some people, like, like my wife, she, I, I, if I've ever ridden with her, she'll slow down gradually at a stop sign. I just pretty much go up, and then I stop down. I do it differently. I get the same results. I get to where I'm going, but I do it a little different way. <laughs> That's as far as we'll go with that. But... <laughs> But, but uh, the, the ways a person does something is the how. Is the how. Yes. That's right. Yes. That's you know? And so when it talks about knowing his ways, we're talking about knowing how God does what he does. And so uh, Amos 3.3 3 is another verse I want to kind of build some things on this morning. Amos 3.3, 3, how can two walk together except they be agreed? If we want to walk with God, I mean, if you remember... Enoch walked with God. He didn't just know God from a distance. He fellowshiped with God. He used his faith to hear from God, 
to, to walk in his ways and so forth and so on. And, and he, he, in order to do that, he had to agree with God's ways. How can two walk together except they be agreed? Well, the obvious answer is they can't. You know, I'd encourage you not to get married to somebody that you disagree with them on everything. Because a marriage is two people walking together. Right? Uh, the more unity of the way you, uh, the more unity you have in spiritual things especially, but even in some natural things, is, is going to determine whether you're kind of like, you know, you, you, you got a marriage certificate down at the courthouse, but that's all the unity that there is in your home, you know. I like to say it this way, marriage is not supposed to be like two cats tied together by the tail. <laughs> now, I'm not condemning anybody if you're in a situation where you, you were married before you came into some light and somebody else didn't come into some light, but you did. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying God can't work in that, and, and, and He will. He'll, he'll grace you and help you, and you can pray for them, and God will bring them into light, so forth and so on. But I'm talking about just jumping into it knowing, uh, you know, a marriage, knowing. Now we left teaching, and now we're pastoring here, so. Knowing, well, I know they, 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 they don't believe this and believe that, but, you know, we love them. Well, uh, how can two walk together except they be agreed? And I'll tell you this, they'll say, they're gonna, they'll, they'll say they agree to get you, but then they'll say, I don't really believe that. Come on. Anyway, I'm going to move right on on that. <laughs> How can two walk together except they be agreed? Well, they can't. Um, if you're going to walk with God, you're going to have to agree with Him. Yes. That's what that verse is saying. If you're going to walk with God, you have to agree with God. And guess what? If you say yes and He says no, or you say uh, uh, green and he says yellow. <laughs> well, we're not in agreement, and somebody's wrong. And guess who's going to change? Not him. Hello. To walk with God, you have to agree with God, because God's not wrong about anything. Amen. Come on. No, He's not. The the perfect one doesn't have to change. The imperfect ones have to change. And that's not a bad word. Change is a good word. We're, we're changed into him, His image from glory to glory. The change He brings us into is to take us on into more glory. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And so He's not going to conform to you. Uh, uh, you and I are going to conform to Him. He doesn't need to change, but we do. So conforming is done by people who aren't perfect yet in the flesh. Perfect in their thinking. And so uh, to walk with him, you have to adapt yes. to him. That's a good yes. word. Say that word out loud, adapt. Yes. Adapt to him. Yes. Uh, that's what the, the word transform means over there in Romans 12 too. It talks about being not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of the mind. In other words, change the way you think in line with the scriptures and adapt to God's way yes. of thinking. Yes. Thank you. His way of thinking yes. are revealed in his word. 
Now you've got verses that talk about my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And if you just stop there, that's Isaiah 55, I believe, verse 8 and 9. If you stop there, you just think, well, his, his ways are too high for me to know. But he goes on and says, but here's how, I can, here's how you can walk with me in my thoughts and my ways. As the snow comes down and the rain from heaven, that's the way my word is. I set my word down to, to show you my ways and my thoughts. Yes, he did. Praise God. The word of God is God's ways and thoughts written down. So um, the Bible says that we have to uh, be, be transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? And so I wanted to look at one area, that one, one way God does things that uh, we have to understand because there's, there's people that say all sorts of different things about this particular subject. Um, and that is, if we could just go over to, uh, let's go over to uh, the book of, Psalms chapter number 78, verse number 40, uh, yeah, verse 41, Psalm 78, verse number 41. Yeah. I don't know if you're staying with me this morning, understanding where we're going, Psalm 78, 78, 41. Uh, this verse and many others like it really, really cause some doctrinal issues with some people. <laughs> In other words, this is what I'm saying is it blows holes through things that are taught and preached. Look at what it says here. Psalm 78, verse 41. Shoot on. Is that what you said? Shoot on. Okay. Psalm 78, 41. Yea, they turned back. This is talking about Israel at Kadesh Barnea when God said, go in. I've given you the land. Go in and possess it. And they, they said, we can't. And they, they got into unbelief. And the, the Bible says, Psalm 78, 41. They turned back. And tempted God, they put him to the test, and notice this, and limited, limited the Holy One of Israel, or limited God, limited God. Now, in many circles, that verse shouldn't be in there. You understand? In many circles, God is sovereign, and he can just do, and does do, Anything he wants for anybody at any time. He's running everything. You know what I'm talking about? But, um, and, and if, if, if something bad happens, that was God doing that. And sometimes they say he did that bad thing in order to do some good, bring some good out of it. They say all sorts of things. Um, Jesus said, a house divided against itself can't stand. You ever read that? Jesus said that. If he's, got, if he's doing bad things to try to bring some sort of good thing out of it, he's got a house divided against itself. And he said himself, that can't stand. Uh, it do you real good to just get on 1010 real clear in your thinking, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's right. Not everything that happens is God. First of all, the Bible said God cannot be tempted with evil. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Comes down from the Father of lights. There's no variableness. No variableness. He doesn't change from that or shadow of turning. So to know God, we have to know He's good all the time. Good all the time. If it's good, it's God. If it's not, it's not God. Well, we just don't know what's good for us. 
Well, you did before you came to church and acted stupid like that. <laughs> Hello. Well, yeah. I don't mean to be mean, but I'm just simply saying, people get into church and they change. All week long, it would be good to have the bills paid, but when we get to church, we don't know. It's still good. You know what I'm talking about? All week long, we call them goods and services, but whenever we, whenever we actually need some and go to the Bible, we don't know if it's good or not. Well, Lord, it's just up to you whether it's your will or not, and if I don't ever have it, then it wasn't your will, and if I do have it, it was your will. It's just you sovereignly doing things, and nothing that I do, nothing that I believe, nothing that I say, nothing that I think, nothing, no, not, no way that I act has any bearing on what I have in my life. It's just God sovereignly deciding whether this is in my life or that's not in my life or whatever. And if something bad happens, God allowed it because he's maybe trying to teach me something. All of that, if you were to put a big title all over of that kind of teaching, that's all under a heading called the sovereignty of God. And the Holy Spirit last Sunday got us on that without me planning to get on it. So I took a clue. I said, the Holy Ghost wants to talk more about this. So we're going to talk more about this. So um, if that's true that God is sovereign, now, now the word sovereign, first of all, is not even in the Bible as far as the King James Version. I mean, you might find it in some other translations, but it, we don't know exactly what it means if you can't find it in the Greek or the Hebrew. So what do you got to do? You got to look it up in the English dictionary. The English dictionary says it means chief, highest, or supreme in authority. Well, God is the most high God, right? There's no God above him. But what we were talking about last Sunday was that doesn't mean he can just do everything, anything he wants to do, like, like just make everybody get saved or, or just make everybody obey his word or do what he wants them to do. Um, he has governed himself by his own word. Yes. And he has all through his word spoken of man's free will. Man has free will. Whosoever will, let him come. Not whosoever I sovereignly forced to come. Right? God honors man's free will. So he will not make anyone do anything. He will not make people do what he wants them to do. Although he knows the great benefit it would be for them to do what he wants them to do. Yet he won't make them. He'll let us live any way we want. Uh, there will be things that won't work out for us. The Bible said the way of transgressors is hard, right? But he'll let us live any way we want. He won't sovereignly make us do anything or sovereignly control us because he's given us free will. And, uh, and there's a lot more to that than we'll, we'll, we'll be able to get into right at the moment, but we'll get to some more things about that. But to know God, you have to know Him in this way that this verse, Psalm, Psalm, uh, I mean, uh, Psalm 78, 41 talks about that uh, you can limit God. And we see examples of this throughout the Bible. I'll give you a couple of them. Would that be all right? A couple of examples, uh, like is the one that this verse is written about. Psalm 78, 41 is written about the children of Israel. You look at the context. The children of Israel at Kadesh Barnea saying, because God had said, I've given you the land. You go in and possess it. And they said, we can't because there's the giants, walled cities, iron chariots, so forth and so on. We were as grasshoppers in their sight. And the Bible says they complained and said, we want to go back to Egypt. You know that whole story. 
uh, and the, the New Testament over and over again brings that out as an example of unbelief for us not to follow. Right, right, true. Hebrews 3 and 4, that's what it's all about. For us not to follow that example of unbelief in departing from the living God. So uh, that, this verse, Psalm 78, 41, is talking about the children of Israel. And really, uh, that's one of the greatest examples in the Bible that the Bible keeps referring back to about us entering into what God has provided for us. That it's not automatic. Just like it wasn't automatic for the children of Israel to possess, at least that first generation, that, that the Canaan's land, just because it was God's will for them. Does that make any sense? And so uh, they didn't go in because of unbelief. And you can read that very clearly in Hebrews 3 and 4. It makes it very plain in Hebrews 3 and 4. There was actually unbelief that limited God. So really, we, uh, we see that as one of the main examples. And, and uh, another example is in Luke 5, where we were talking about Peter in his nets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We didn't point it out, but Jesus didn't say to Peter, let down your net. He said, let down your nets, plural. And... I didn't point it out, but if you can go back there and read it again, you might not notice it. But, but the Bible says Peter, because he was uh, only partially trusting what Jesus was having him do, the Bible said he let down his net singular. He only let down one net. Jesus had planned to fill all his nets. As it was, he filled he was only able, to, listen to that, he was only able to fill one nest. Yes. Why? Because Peter yes. limited, limited Jesus. Yes, he did. Yes, he, did. Yes. he put a governor yes, on Jesus' yes. power to flow and supply his baby's diapers, yes. fix the chariot wheel. All of that. Hallelujah. He did. <laughs> yes, he did. Some of you are like, is that what that actually said? Go back there and read it. Jesus said, let down your nets, plural. And he said, listen, I've toiled all night. I haven't caught anything. I don't want to wash all these nets again. I'll just put one down. Because you know, they're not biting today. So I probably won't catch that many. And he put down one net, limited Jesus. Jesus didn't say one net, put down nets. He limited God. What did God want to do for him? Fill his nets, plural. That was God's perfect will. What did Peter get that day? One net full of fish. That was, it was limited compared to what Jesus wanted to do. That's not God sovereignly doing something. It's God working with man, listen to these words, according to his faith. I said according to his faith. Now think about, this is another example of this in the scriptures, Mark 6, verse number 5. If you go there and look at it, the Bible talks about Jesus in his own hometown. He could there, Jesus there in his own hometown, could there do no mighty work. Why would it say he could there? Because he tried there. I... I wouldn't say 
I don't see a piano, a big old piano or something. Yeah, there's one, right? There's one behind the curtain. I wouldn't say to you, I can't pick up that piano unless I had tried. I see, I've tried in the past, so I know I can't pick that up. I might not have tried on that one, but I've tried on other ones. And I can't pick that piano up, right? Why? Because can't doesn't mean I won't. It means I tried and I can't. Jesus went to his own hometown to do exactly what he had done everywhere else. But notice it didn't say he wouldn't. Mark 6, verse number 5. Mark 6, 5. He, he could there do no mighty work. In other words, he went there to do the same things he had done everywhere else, but he could not. Why? The Bible, the Bible goes on and said, they, he marveled because of their unbelief. So that's not God sovereignly say, I'm not going to do anything here. Or Jesus. I'm not going to do anything here. It wasn't Jesus controlling his power to heal. It wasn't him saying yes to some and no to others. It was people saying yes to his power or saying no to his power. That's not sovereignty. It's man saying yes or no to what God wants to do. And listen, somebody said, well, I'll, I'll say yes. There's more to it than just saying yes. There's actually mixing faith with what he said in his word. Anybody getting some, some help on this? Uh, we won't take the time to go there, but in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse number 3, there was a widow woman that had a, and this is just, there's so many examples of this in the Bible, but there's a few of them that the Lord spoke to me about, and I'm giving you. She had a need. Her husband had been in debt, and he died. They, had, they were going to have to work off. Back in that day, you had to work it off, you know. So uh, they, she had this debt. She called the prophet and said, listen, uh, you know, we've got this debt, and my husband died. Uh, what are we going to do? And he said, well, go borrow vessels, yep. not a few, right. and go uh, close the door from all your neighbors. Go get these vessels, and then go close the door. And the little bit of oil you have in the, in the cruise there, Start pouring it. And remember? And, and the Bible says that they closed the door. The sons brought, excuse me, brought the vessels. And whenever they got to the end of the vessels, in other words, all the vessels that they had collected from the neighbors, whenever they were pouring, it kept pour, filling up all of them. And when they got to the last one and poured, the oil stopped flowing. Mir miraculous flow of oil. Miraculous multiplication of oil. Because back then, oil was like money. You could sell it. For, like, it's like a commodity. You could sell it like, like a field full of corn or something. So she, she went and sold that and paid off all her debt. Well, how many of you know that oil, that oil went as far as she had the faith to get all those vessels? Yeah. Isn't that right? God didn't say predetermined from the foundation of the world, this is how much oil will flow this day. She determined that by how many vessels she got. By When he said borrow vessels, not a few. You know, a hundred widow women that day would have, heard a, would have heard borrow vessels, not a few, in different amounts. One would have said, not a few. Well, a few's three. I'll get five. And God would have met him at that point. Not a few. Another one would have said, I'll get ten. God would have met him at that point. Another one could have just... It was according, all of this is in some of the greatest, it's all encapsulized in some of the greatest words Jesus ever said about, is God sovereign or not? It's in Matthew 9, 29. Go to Matthew 9, 29. Matthew 9, verse 29. Eight of the greatest words 
in Jesus' teaching about how God does things. Matthew 9, 29. These were, these blind men came to him. You remember that story? And they, they, they needed healing. Believe ye that I'm able to do this. Yea, Lord. Verse 29. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to my sovereign will. Hmm? What was that? Uh, did, that did, didn't say that in your Bible? No, sir. Nope. I must have got my first opinions Bible out. Wrong transition. First opinions. First opinions, 929. <laughs> no, Matthew 929. According to what? According to what? According to my sovereign will. Oh, according to my power. Well, we know the power was involved. Yes, it was. But that didn't, that didn't determine whether or not that power flowed. The power wasn't sovereignly flowing or not flowing. It was, Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. So that's some of the greatest words in the Bible about this question, is God sovereign? Or is he just doing everything that he wants to do for anybody and choosing who he does it for? You know, so forth and so on. You can read through the Bible and see many occasions where some, some got something and others didn't. Some were spared from the flood, others were not. Was that God saying, it's, it's, just, it's just one family that I want to save? No, it was people didn't believe the preaching of Noah that there was judgment coming. They, God didn't decide who got in that boat. They decided who got in that boat. Yeah. Right? right? Rahab was spared. The rest of the city was destroyed. Yeah. The New Testament says why? She had faith. She had yes. faith. She yes. Yes. Right? Israel walked through the Red Sea. Egypt tried it and drowned. Yeah. It says in the New Testament, Hebrews 11, by faith Israel walked through the Red Sea. That's why they got through and Egypt didn't. Egypt didn't have a word from God to go through there. They just tried it. Out of rebellion to God, really. Not out of faith. And you could go on and on through the Bible and see that over and over. That it wasn't God determining this person goes to hell, this person doesn't, this person gets healed, this person doesn't. It was according. It wasn't sovereignty. No, it wasn't. It was according to their faith. So um, they're really in the body of Christ. Um, There really are two camps of people. To properly understand what we're talking about today, you have to understand that there are basically two camps of people in the body of Christ. Um, Those who teach the sovereignty doctrine and those who teach the authority of the believer and the message of faith. Basically, everybody falls into one of those camps. Now, it's amazing to me that believers sometimes don't recognize the difference. But it matters which side you're going to come down on. Yes, yes it does. Somebody's got to be right, and somebody's got to be wrong. Right? And it matters. I said it matters. It matters what you believe about these things. You know what I'm talking about? 
Um, one side says something good happens. God just sovereignly did it for you. They lay it off on God. And if something, did, something bad happens, God did that too. You understand what I'm talking about? That's why it's awfully quiet in here today. Because I think we're hitting the mark. Yes. Um, <clears throat> they lay it off on God. Everything is God's responsibility. That's what I'm talking about. They, they say, you and I have no responsibility. What we do, what we say, what we believe, what we think, the way we act, it doesn't have any bearing on whether or not you know, we have this blessing in our life or we don't have this blessing because God's controlling all of that. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? Uh, and, and a lot of folks like it that way because they like to not be, they like to blame others for what happens in their life. You know what I'm talking about? If you go to McDonald's and burn your lips on their coffee, it's their fault. You put it in your mouth. <laughs> That's the kind of society we live in. And that has gotten into the church. If I don't have it, it's God's fault. <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about? This is hitting the mark this morning. I, I didn't plan on getting this straight this morning, but boy, did he deal with me about this. Uh, blaming others. It's always somebody else. You know, uh, it's, it's the boss. He won't give me a raise. It's, it's you know, somebody else's fault. Jesus didn't say according to the raise the boss gives you. He said according to your faith. <laughs> this is strong this morning, I know. But, but boy, do we need to decide which voice we're going to listen to on this. Because what we listen to is going to determine what we're going to have. There's different voices talking different, different ways. Um, and you got to hear the way I'm saying this. If you don't know me, you think it sounds like we're attacking people. Or These are our brothers and our sisters in Christ. They're our family. They, we're in the same covenant they're in. Amen. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why we're in the same family they're in. Because they don't apply the teaching of sovereignty that they teach in other areas to salvation. When it comes to salvation, they're, they're faith people. But when it comes to everything else, they're sovereignty people. You know what I'm talking about? So we've got people in our family, people that we're to pray for, love. You know what I'm talking about? And listen, you got to understand the way I'm approaching this. I was the same way for a long time. I just didn't know. And that's the way a lot of people are. They just don't know. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a slam. We shouldn't be slamming people because they just don't know. Some people, if they knew, they'd go, I see it. Right? And so we've got to love them. How many of you, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't win them by, you know, just being nasty to them. <laughs> You got to love him into it. And, and I remember one time the Lord was dealing with me about, I was, I was ministering to some people and he dealt with me. I got a little too straight with him. He said, how long did it take you to get it? And so he said, I want you to be patient with them. So that's the way I'm approaching this. I don't believe in attacking people because people are precious to God. They're loved by God. And, and really they're our brother and our sister. And we need the, the, everybody else in the body of Christ. We need everybody else in the body of Christ. But we do want to preserve the integrity of the scriptures because 
to believe wrong about some of these things, some of these things strips the church of its power. You understand what I'm t- talking about? We want to hold to what does the Bible actually say? So praise the Lord. Everybody hear my heart on this? This ministry is a voice of faith. This ministry is a voice that preaches what God said in His Word about faith and that being a determining factor in so many of these things. We've got to decide which side we're on on this. Amen? Not, not to take sides. Somebody said, you're dividing the body of Christ. No, the body's already divided on this. <laughs> we're not dividing. We're just pointing out you've got to decide what does the Bible say to you and what are you going to hold to because that matters when it comes to what you receive from God. Just like it mattered to, uh, in fact, let's look at, a, look at an example here. Go over to, uh, go over to, um, go over to, let's see here. I get, just something came up in my heart. Mark chapter number nine. Yes, sir. Mark chapter number nine, verse number 22 through 23. Y'all are such good listeners. So I enjoy coming and preaching. It's just a, it's just a joy. Mark 9, verse 22 through 23. This is, this is uh, if you read the whole story, the apostles had tried to minister to this boy who uh, the, the father told him he tried to, that he was demon, uh, the, the, the demons were uh, attacking him and he was trying to throw him into the water and into the fire to destroy him. You know what that is? It's a spirit of suicide. Those are spirits talking to people. We don't, we don't say that to be harsh on them. We say that out of compassion. We want to, see them. We want to help them. Amen. But this is what he, he, this young man had afflicting him. And, um, and Jesus came down off of the, the mountain and uh, saw them interacting with the family and then also the Pharisees and said, what are you questioning with them? And, and uh, the father of this boy told Jesus the story. Then in verse 22 and 23, oftentimes it has cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. So notice, I want you to circle if you got a pen there maybe, or maybe you're doing this digitally and you've got a highlighter in your electronic version of your Bible. Uh, Circle or highlight or something the word if... He said, if thou canst do anything, if, and then if, where Jesus said, if thou canst believe. So what do we see here? This man tried to put the if on Jesus. Jesus flipped it back and said, no, the if is on you. The if is on your faith. Right? That's, that's the way Jesus, that's what, that's what Jesus actually said there. Yes. Yeah. So really, this is the two, the two different views that I talked about when it comes to sovereignty or the message of the authority of the believer. The authority of the believer or faith, we'll get into that in a minute. But um, this is, this is the, the sovereignty people, they, they want to put the if on God. If it's His will, if He chooses to sovereignly do it, the if is on God. Jesus was a faith man. He's on the other side. I said He's on the other side of this if. He put the responsibility and He put the if on man. Exactly. <laughs> I, I see a lot of people looking at their Bible and say, that, that is what that said. That, that's the way it was for me, too. I looked at it, I was like, whoa, whoa. 
I'm seeing a lot of that this morning. People going, well, that is what that says. If you, Jesus said, no, if you. If you. If you. You see, he's saying, accept the responsibility of the authority God gave you to determine what is going to be in your life. Come on now. There it is. Yes. Oh, my, 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 my. Woo. Oh, my Lord Jesus. This is so, this so helped me. I've had people, whenever they've heard this, they've come and said, you're just putting a heavy burden on people. The Bible addressed that too in Jeremiah. He said, don't say the burden of the Lord. Jeremiah 23 talks about, don't say the burden of the Lord. He said, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to hear that out of your mouth, the burden of the Lord. This term burden of the Lord, he said, don't mention it again. But that's what people think whenever they hear this. This is not a burden. This is, see, what this is, is God has given you the ability to open the door to him or close the door to him. Because he loves you enough. He'll not force anything on you. He waits to be invited. And he waits for you to choose what he wants. And choose to believe his word and take your place of, of giving place to him in that. That's really, what that really is, is the authority of the believer. The authority that we have to determine, to agree with God, to accept what God has for us, or to reject it and say no. Isn't that right? Think of a verse. Remember, you ever read this verse? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on That's not sovereignty. That's not sovereignty. That's not God determining what gets bound and what gets loose. That's man determining what gets bound and what gets loose. That helps you. Does it help me? Yeah, it helps me and it helps you. I'm just getting help this morning. Praise God. So... Be careful not to put the responsibility God put on man back on God. God has a part in all of these things, doesn't he? His power's involved, his word's involved, so forth and so on. He has a part in what happens to us, but, he, he, but don't try to put the responsibility on him that he put on you and I. That's... God obviously is, his power can do things we can't do, but it's us that can open the door or close the door to that power. That's right. Yep. Amen. And so we, God can't do that part. We do that part. We can't do like, like take healing, like this man being delivered or something like that. We can't do that part. God can, but we can determine whether God's power is able to reach that boy by our faith. Isn't that right? <clears throat> So uh, don't try to put the, the, the don't try to put the determination of how things come out always on God. That's what people do whenever they teach sovereignty. God is the one who determines how this all turns out, and they they see things uh, they see things happening, and they're just always laying it off on God. And so the wrong thinking along this line will cause us to uh, believe wrong. Right. Because, because really wrong teaching causes wrong thinking, which causes wrong believing, which causes having the wrong things. Amen? Praise God. And listen, uh, you know, a lot of this, I lay it at the feet of ministers more than I lay it at the feet of the people in the congregations. Because the ministers have to tell the truth. 
Everybody still glad you came to church this morning? <laughs> this is pretty strong. But I just think we, the Lord really wanted to talk about it. This, this kind of thinking blinds men to the authority we have to either give place to God or close the door to Him. And so it makes, uh, makes people think God's running everything. And the reason that the devil likes this kind of thinking, because it opens the door to him. Because if we're leaving it up to God, God's leaving it up to us. So nobody's moving. So, God's, so the devil says, I'll move. Right? You know what's going to happen if you and I are playing a game of checkers? And, and you move, I move, you move, I move. You know how it goes. Well, if, if I'm waiting for you to move, because I know it's your move, and I get distracted and I look over there for a while and you move and I didn't see you, we're going to both sit and stare at the board and both of us are going to think, it's your move. Right? I'm thinking, it's your move. You're thinking, it's my move. So what's going to happen? Nothing. <laughs> we're both going to sit there. With no, the game's not going forward anymore. Right? Well, see, God knows it's our move. He already did all the work of redemption. He knows it's our move. We're thinking it's his move, so nothing's happening. And so the devil goes, I'll move, and he just wipes the whole board clean. He just messes everything up. The devil likes that. Okay, my people are, Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. That's what, that's what God does. He, he, he works through knowledge. God works through knowledge. The enemy works through ignorance or lack of knowledge. Sometimes I want to say, would the real Jesus please stand up? You know what I'm talking about? Would the real Jesus please stand up? Now, let's move on with this a little bit. Um, this is something the Lord dealt with me about in 2 Corinthians 5.16. Paul said, 2 Corinthians 5, 16. Are you still there? You're not, not, not getting more than you can take in one day? We're almost done. 2 Corinthians, what did I say, 5? 2 Corinthians 5, 16. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. We're kind of wrapping this all up here. Wherefore, henceforth, Paul said, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh. Now, he's talking about before he met him on the road to Damascus. Remember that bright light shone and, you know, he met him in all of his glory. When he says, I knew Christ after the flesh, he's talking about before that. I knew him after the flesh. Then he said, yea, henceforth, yet now henceforth know we him no more. you see that? So what is he saying? I knew him. I only knew him according to the way I thought. I knew him according to all my religious training, which my religious training told me he was a heretic, right? And he was not the Christ. He was a deceiver, so forth and so on. And he was out persecuting and killing Christians because that's the way he thought about Jesus. And he wanted to wipe this thing out, this movement, this Christianity movement. He wanted to wipe it out. He's persecuting and killing Christians because he knew Jesus after the flesh. But one day he met him in reality. Right? 
And Jesus, in a very short period of time, revealed, him, re revealed himself to Paul in all his glory, and Paul's string got straightened out just like that. Yeah. <laughs> he, he all of a sudden, you remember the first thing he said? Who art thou, Lord? Instantly, he called him Lord. He said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Paul could have said, we've never met Jesus. He said, but you're persecuting me. You see, what he was doing to Christians, he was doing to Jesus. That's right. The way I treat you is the way I'm treating Jesus. The way you treat me is the way you treat Jesus. Jesus was taking it personally the way Paul was treating him. <laughs> okay, so notice, I want you to see that. Jesus, Paul, Paul knew Jesus one way, and when he, surely, when he revealed himself to Jesus revealed himself to him on the road to Damascus, immediately he knew him a different way. Yeah. And from then on, he knew him as Lord. He served him the rest of his life, right? Amen. So Paul knew Jesus one way, then he knew him another way. Another way. Apparently, you can know the same person two different ways. Right? Was, did Jesus change the day Paul saw him on the road to Damascus and become something other than who he was? The day before that, he's a heretic, he's a false prophet, he's all this. And the day that he met him, he's, all the, he's the Lord of glory. Did Jesus change? No, he was the same. What changed? The deception came off Paul's eyes. The thinking that he had about who Jesus was and the way he does things. Changed because he saw him in reality. And that's, listen, that's what has to happen to every person in the world. They have to stop seeing him as just a whatever religious leader or whatever and see him as the Redeemer, the risen Christ, the Lord of glory. But don't think that just has to happen outside of the body of Christ. It has to happen in the body of Christ. Has to happen in the body of Christ. Amen. And one thing that has to happen is people have to see him as the way he does things is through our faith, through our faith. Amen. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. That, that, that's happening. That's happening. That's happening. We're praying the Ephesians prayer. Remember Ephesians 1? The eyes of the people's understanding, understanding being enlightened, that they would know the hope of their calling and that they, they would know him and who he really is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, I've got to close this, but let me just finish this one more thing up. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, all authority is given unto me and in heaven and earth. If you were to stop right there, you'd think, see, he does have the authority to run everything. He's running everything. He's sovereignly controlling everything. Matthew 28, 18, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. But notice what he immediately said. He immediately said, go ye therefore. Now think about this. Sometimes we haven't thought deeply enough about the scriptures. Notice that Jesus said this, Matthew 28, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. He said it right after his resurrection. He had appeared to his disciples, and that was the first thing he said. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. He said it as if it was a brand new development. Right? All, I, he had just raised from the dead. And he said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Yes, sir. Yes. 
he said it as if it was a brand new development. But let me, let me ask you a question. When Jesus walked the earth, ministering for three and a half years, you see him uh, before his death, burial, and resurrection, of course. You see him exercising authority on many occasions. You see him exercising authority over the wind and the waves. Don't you? You see him exercising authority over the fever that was in Peter's mother-in-law. The Bible said he rebuked the fever. That's authority. But you see him exercising authority over death itself. Lazarus, come forth. Right? You see him exercising authority over the fig tree. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter. He spoke words of authority. So when he rose from the dead and said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth, as if it were a new development, it's like, wait a minute. You had been walking in authority, and that's just a few of the occasions, you had been walking in that your whole earthly ministry. Why are you saying this as if it's a new development? Because it wasn't his that he had just gotten, it was ours. Hallelujah. Come on. There it is. We know that from the next verse. The very next thing he said was, Go ye therefore. Yes. Go ye therefore. Come on. <laughs> that was not his own that he had just gotten. It was ours that Satan had stolen from Adam in the garden whenever Adam bowed the knee to him. Because Genesis 1, 26 and 28 says God gave Adam the authority. He said, have dominion over fish of the sea, fowl of the air, over all the earth. Adam had dominion. Adam was in charge. He was the one running it down here. But when, you, when Jesus met Satan in the temptation in Luke 4, Jesus, one of the temptations was, bow down and worship me. Jesus, uh, Satan tempted Jesus, bow down and worship me. You see all the, the, the nations, all the authority. If you read the Greek, it says authority over all these nations. You bow down and worship me, and I'll give you that and all the wealth that goes with it. Jesus tempted him with that. He said, for that has been given to me. People think he lied. If he lied, it wouldn't have been in temptation because Jesus would have known it. I can't say to you, uh, I can't say to you, uh, don't, don't be tempted to steal my Ferrari sitting outside because there's not a Ferrari sitting outside. <laughs> That's not a temptation. If I, don't, I don't even have it to give, but Satan had it to give. Well, why did God give Satan authority over all these nations? He didn't. Adam gave it to him. He originally gave it to Adam, and Satan usurped it from Adam. And he got, that's why 2 Corinthians 4, 4 calls Satan the God of this world. There's a lot of things happening down here that God is not running. The God of this world is running. But listen, we've been redeemed from the God of this world, and we've been raised up with Jesus to sit with Jesus in heavenly places far above. What are we going to do with that authority? What are we going to do about what the day, what are we going to do about what goes bump in the night? What goes boo? What tries to, you put a fever that puts its hand on our baby in the middle of the night. What are we going to do about it? We're going to stand up in our authority and say in the name of Jesus. Glory to God. No, it's not just God sovereignly determining whether your baby's healed. It's whether we exercise the authority that is ours. And that's where I wanted to start preaching this morning, but I'm out of time. <laughs> that was the introduction. We need to know God. Listen to me. We need to know God in the authority of the believer. We need to know God as a God of faith. We need to know Him as the way He does things. This is the way He does things. is through man's faith and man's authority. Whether we open the door to Him or close the door, 
It's, it's up to us. We read the verse, and there's nothing wrong with doing this, but the book of Revelation says, I stand at the door and knock. Remember that? Um, and we read that verse when we were giving you know, invitations for people to be saved, and we say, Jesus wants to come into the door of your heart, and he's knocking, so and there's nothing wrong with that. Don't misunderstand me. I believe that. But here's the point. When you actually go back and read the book of Revelation where he said that, I stand at the door and knock, you know, he wasn't talking to sinners. He's talking to the church. <laughs> he's talking to believers. In other words, what are you trying to get into believers' lives for? Because they've closed the door on him and limited him. Isn't that right? Maybe sometimes ignorantly, not aware that they've done it. But that's why we've got to get knowledge. Amen.